house. I um, manage mainly the operations and finance part of the business. I'm Natasha, I'm the CEO and co-founder of Full House. And uh, I also am very involved in the merchandising. My background's in architecture, so I do a lot of design and collateral, um, and also uh, head up the sales team as well. That's awesome. So um, I guess for starters, how do you guys define Cool House? <laughs> Steve. Um, I think, you know, just kind of the, you know, the, the easy answer is um, more, I think, specific to the product that is, you know, um, desserts that are architecturally inspired. But we, when we first started, I think we thought of a much broader sense of like, what is a cool house? Right. It's our, it's on our, you know, we kept the original manifesto on the website, actually. We're, we're thinking about cool houses, not just as specific as like the ice cream sandwich or the dessert product, but it's, you know, it almost is um, almost kind of like a style of a, of a thinker, someone who wants to reactivate spaces um, and do cool things in urban landscapes like we've done with our trucks. Um, the product itself, which has this architectural inspiration, uh, speaking to my background. Uh, now, kind of explain like, the, I mean, at least for me, the architectural piece of it, right? Yeah. You don't normally associate architecture and ice cream. This is true, this is true. Um, so, for me, my, my background is in architecture and design, and um, I was getting kind of frustrated with um, being, you know, I'd gone through school seven years in that field, uh, from, you know, undergraduate and graduate, and, and getting to the end and getting ready to get out there and be an architect, and I just sort of had this feeling like it was a very, um, you know, uh, kind of closed off world in which we were sort of speaking to these grand ideas about about design and architecture and urban landscapes and we had all these really, really complicated words and ways of describing things, but we were sort of maybe out of touch with what people really um, could relate to about architecture and design. And that's such an important part of a field like architecture because it is a public profession. It's clients, it needs people to care and love and spend time in the spaces and understand them and that's valuable. And um, I sort of started to experiment with this idea of um, if you could bring maybe another medium into the conversation that's really relatable and fun and memorable, and for me, the ultimate medium of that is food. Um, so I just kind of started to play around with this, this I call the idea of architecture, food plus architecture. Fart architecture. It's a silly word. Uh, fart architecture. Yeah. That's yeah. It's a whole different. No fart. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's a silly sounding word. It's great. The point. The point was to, to kind of be silly about it and not take it so seriously. Um, and we, you know, I that was sort of an umbrella idea. I think that ended up um, governing a lot of other decisions that I made. And um, I actually what kind of even backing up, like what was the light bulb for that even food could do this, was I um, was working on a, uh, a project in, in, in college that my professor criticized by saying that it looked like a layer cake. Um, he said that you're, that my, this, this building I was designing, it was like student housing. He said, you know, this, this building looks like, like cake. And I was like, what's wrong with that? Cake is awesome. <laughs> Everyone loves cake. And so the next round of the model, cake is a cake. And when I brought it in, people were like listening to my explanation of the building, but they were really thinking, okay, when we get to eat the stand cake, you know, she's gonna stop talking And I just thought like, that's it, food is what brings us together. So I started, you know, uh, that's kind of the architecture, and, sure. and that's the architecture connection, and really those specifically with Cool House, it was just one of those, under that umbrella comes with architecture, it was just one of those. Um, so literally like building and redesigning yeah. the, 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 the culinary vision of food in the and right. even with the flavors and stuff like that. So how did you two meet? Like, how did that, how did that happen? How did the numbers so <laughs> come to the we thing? started dating. We're now married to each other. So two months, or when I met her, she was like, oh, I have these ice cream sandwiches. I'm naming them after architects. And I was like, oh, that's cute. Okay. <laughs> um, tell me more. And I tried it. She was making the ice cream and cookies at home. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. Uh, you know, maybe this art project could actually become a business. And at that time, I was 26, working in real estate development, sort of having a quarter-life crisis, like, do I still want to do this, or do I want to pursue something in food? So I thought, oh, this is a perfect opportunity. 
I don't really know this girl, but I like her. Like, let me see if I can turn her art project. Let me see if I can make business. some money off of her. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I asked her, I was like, what's your cost per unit? And she's like, I don't know. I spent 80 bucks at Whole Foods. And I was like, oh, I thought you were supposed to be like an anal retentive, like architect. I was like, really like detail oriented. And uh, so we, I made her go back and, you know, we took, uh, you know, found out all the, the costs for, you know, all the goods. And I plugged it into my little like financial performa and was like, oh, okay, this could work. Uh, let's see what, let's see what we can do. And so just in, from a pure business standpoint, because like I think you guys skipped the sort of the courting period as, as business people, right? Where you see, see a lot of entrepreneurs in the room picking a partner, right, and sticking with it. You know, what were some of the traits that you recognize in each other that, you know, you, you wanted to go full bore with this, right? Because one thing, you know, a lot of people have a lot of ideas on paper or, you know, they have thoughts in their head and they don't actually actualize it. Like, what was the, what was, what was the, the glue that you saw in, in partnership? Yeah, I mean, we definitely have complementary skill sets, which now we've sort of, yeah. we've definitely learned from each other. And people now think I'm the creative. And I was like, oh, that's They're a like, compliment. the creative visionary in the house. You're the executor. It was exactly the opposite. Yeah, I, my background is operations, systems, finance. I majored in sociology, so I understood you know, building organizational structure and culture and how important that is. Yeah, yeah, no, but I think that's exactly what you said, that, you know, um, same vision, like we, we both could sort of see the writing on the wall, but we were, could cover different grounds. Um, and I think just at the end of the day, it's about who do you want to work with? Who do you want to spend your days with? Is it going to be fun? Or are you going to be, you know, making ice cream at three in the morning, mess in, you know, someone's mom's kitchen at the right. time? No, a lot of people say it. Like, you want to hang out with that person. You know, exactly, like it's a real relationship. Yeah, like the, the business is kind of is your baby. And can you fight with that person? Exactly. Right. Well, even to that point, like being a, you know yeah. a, a romantically involved, right? Like then that adds a whole other layer on onto it. Like how do you balance out the personal side versus <laughs> business? You don't. You don't. <laughs> <laughs> um, that I mean that definitely takes some getting used to. On the other hand, I think like starting and growing a business together is incredibly romantic. You know, I, I it was challenging. Like, oh, thank you. Yeah. There we go, yes. Like, I had to say, driving the, uh, you know, original ice cream truck, the tiny coastal van, like into the sunset in Malibu Pass, like on the way to a wedding. I mean, it's like, it's an amazing thing to experience together. There's many places that it took us and then the truck would break down. And then you have to deal with that too, and that's part but of the But at least you had ice cream in each other. Yeah, but it's, it's like it's an adventure. Exactly. Right. And then you just eat the ice cream and, you, and it's all good. Um, but I, I, and I also think that because we were together, we'd talk about it all the time, that could be dangerous to never stop talking about it. On the other hand, that's why it grew so quickly, because we could always, there wasn't like really the end of the day, we could always work on things and evolve them and come up with new flavors. So, um, you kind of have to take the best of it, I think, and as it matures, you can more start to draw a line in the sand. Like, we're not going to talk about business now, or, you know, um, we're going to, like, get out of town and the point is to separate from it, I think, as you grow into your So it's setting up those boundaries, yeah. like, like deliberately. Well even, and I don't know that in the first few years, maybe you just have to have no boundaries and just, that's it, that's a startup. Yeah, like, actually, four yeah. years in, I, I actually, last April, stepped down from the day-to-day finance and operations one i was i was a little burnt down i think i wanted to start another company but two for the sake of our marriage i was like okay like I've, we've got the company to the point where it can run without me you know she's the ceo she's the visionary she runs the sales team branding marketing product development i can find talent that has more experience than me than me hire them and have them run the business speaking of, of, better. of that like you know that's a pivot point right like to recognize the point at which you can separate right you can separate yourself from it and you start to bring on more people what was that process like because i think for most entrepreneurs right it's you're holding on so tightly to this vision it's hard to give it up to you know new blood yeah right? Well, I'm sort of the, I don't know if entrepreneurs, if this is like a stereotype or not, but I'm kind of a lazy entrepreneur. I, when I structured the business, I was like, I want to be able to run the business by looking at one report every week. I don't want to micromanage. I want to make sure that the systems are in place so that 
it's not fully dependent on me. So that was very clear from the beginning as I put together my little spreadsheet and was like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Economies of scale, we need multiple trucks so that I don't have to work on the truck um, you know, for the rest of my life. So, no, but yeah, the, setting up the, the scalability, but I think anyone will say the, a, a good CEO will surround themselves with talent. That's exactly what you're supposed to do, is that you have to, you know, there's limitations to any one person and the hours in the day. So it's all about, I think, creating and building your team. And, and it's okay, you know, you have to let go and you have to know that um, it's only gonna grow if you're able to do that and, and put responsibilities and, and also let people share in the vision and let them benefit from the, the fun perks that you like doing with the company. Like, you know, um, the, the person who sort of took over, took the reins from France, runs our operations, is like obsessed with donuts. She loves donuts. So we actually... Um, Don't we all? Yeah. <laughs> she had the idea to do coffee and donuts ice cream. So it's on the menu in spring. And I think that's like really fun and rewarding too, like to, you know, to take part in that, which would normally be something that's... Definitely. ...more in my, in my zone. So it's... it's Sure the law, you know. Right, so, and even for like those first couple of growth steps, right, you know, I, I think a lot of times it's knowing what's, who's the first person you're going to hire, right, or the first three or four people. Did you roadmap that or did you kind of like, ooh, kind of by necessity, like what was what was the process in terms of like, what, who was the first hire and, and how did that, how did that well, go? The, the very, very beginning was there's, I mean, to be your friends. Yeah. Um, and then actually the first real round of hires that were like not people that we already knew were we tweeted like the job ad and that was actually a great way to find the first um, employees because people who were, were really following us on Twitter, was, this was pretty early in the days of Twitter, were kind of in the know about social media and our brand and, and we were building our, our vibe. So we actually got some really good more people in the beginning that you know just saw the post on Twitter. That's that great. Good. You know, it also speaks to sort of another element of tribement, right? Where it's how to engage and work with millennials, if you will, or people who are of the, the connected generation. Um, and your product has a lot of personality. You just talked about like sort of the vibe in the you yeah. know in the office. So can you just talk about how that mirrors? Because it. Cool House is a fun brand, right? You go look at the truck and like, I can build my own stuff. You have prepackaged flavors. I'm big on puns. I was reading up on some of the other flavors that you guys have out there. Um, but kind of talk about just the culture of the brand to the consumer mirroring the culture of the, you know, the brand internally. Yeah, I mean, I, I think those are, um, that's a really key part of, of any brand success is you have to, there's the outward facing and the inward facing and we talk a lot about, um, you know, if you look at our products on the shelf, like, and you have a few seconds to get someone's attention, like, what's going to grab them about the house? And I definitely think, you know, in the, in the slideshow, there's something really fun and uh, original and just looks, the packaging just looks different. It almost looks like weird astronaut ice cream food, you know, like nothing else looks like that on the shelf. And it looks weird because an architect designed the packaging, not a uh, consumer products packaging designer. So it's like, you already took this this career that sort of didn't belong necessarily in food right. and applied it, but tried to make that be what makes us stand out. It's kind of like, it's kind of like mashup culture, right? Like yeah. it's a, you know, it definitely is a, a mashup. Like I met the CEO of Revolt TV and you look at like a brand like that and yeah. there's no like thread except for the idea of a revolt and youth revolting and what right. that means now. So, you know, just in terms of yeah, what you're, what you're saying is like it is a sort of mashup of cultures. And, yeah, and it, literally. Been, yeah, the also the um, all the packaging is supposed to look like like sandwiches, look like they're in little um, like trucks. That's what the, the, the packaging 
package has like the grill and headlights on it and little chrome star programs like our original truck. And that immediately speaks to the story. Like the story is so important in our brand and the culture of people knowing that we have these humble beginnings and that we started with these roaming ice cream trucks. So you like immediately that's something that I think it differentiates. Um, and you know, going inwards I think that that is for us it's about fun and unique and creativity and so many of our um, our team members having different backgrounds, music and art and acting and, and theater and comedy and, and really like so that mashup right. I think is really important. Like so many people at Full House also do other things actually very seriously and many of them are quite successful at other things that they do. Well, it sounds like what you took advantage of is like the, the opportunity to gather perspectives, right? Like if, I think if the more diverse you build a team, the more perspectives you get, and you know they're able to contribute like things you probably wouldn't have thought of. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious as to like what the you know how much of this is like whiteboarded up, you know, let's have a brainstorm session, or versus like it really just grows organically. Um, probably in the beginning, it's probably more of an organic. Like I think you're surprised by a lot of the things you're just and it's more kind of running you instead of you running it. Like the, the, I think the sort of famous saying is to get to a place where you're working on the business, not in the business. And it's okay for the business to kind of steer you in the beginning. And it, it writes its own story in the beginning because who's to say, there's only so much that you can write for, especially when you're getting started. Right. But I think what's, you, you get to a place after uh, a year or two or more where you can step back a little bit and then you can say, wait a second, have all these awesome musicians working on the trucks at Cool House. Maybe we should, you know, get a playlist of all their music, and that can be what's playing in the trucks. And we did that. We had the Cool House Radio, where we would feature um, the different bands that people were in and promote them. Um, and we did a lot of like outside music partnerships at that time, making um, uh, ice cream sandwiches for Tegan and Sarah and the Black Keys and Santa Gold, and you right. know, having fun with that. So. I think once you can kind of gather that experience and that material and have that a little bit of space from it to look and say, okay, this is, wait a second, something's going on here, then it's, okay, how do you be proactive and, and grow that? And that is going to require you actually, you know, not just reacting to it, but... but right, and, and, and that has to be coupled with the business side of it, right? So, you know, as you sort of pivoted a little bit on your own, what, you know, what is your day-to-day -day like with the business, like where do you chime in, and where you know, where do you step back and like let the system you put in place do its thing? I, well, I guess I'm just the most vocal board member right now. <laughs> so, and, it's because you have and, nothing else to do, right? Yeah, and my audience. <laughs> I don't like that. And my audience is Natasha. <laughs> no, but yeah, my day to day now. I, I started a, a new company, Ludlow's Cocktail Company. Um, which actually I got the idea for as I was transitioning out and just thinking like what kind of business model do I, not even what kind of business but what type of business model do I want to go into next and what I really enjoyed about Cool House was the distribution retailer product model so we started thinking about you know and, and also what industry has high multiples for, for valuation when you exit. And I was like, oh, liquor. So uh, we were thinking about <laughs> jello shots and it just randomly like, oh, can you buy a prepackaged jello shot? No, not really. Um, are there any good jello shots? If people like, has anyone had like a gourmet craft cocktail one? Not really. I was like, oh, cool. So I started doing some research, found a manufacturer, raised some money, I raised like 300,000, got my branding company, my lawyer, and just said, let's do it. Like, why, why not? Like, if I can find that much money for my like weird vision of gourmet prepackaged jello shots, I'm, I'm, I must be onto something, so. Is Bill Cosby involved at all? <laughs> no, but okay. I, yeah. <laughs> I should, I should get involved. not Oh, okay, you know, yeah. different different generation you want to attract for jello shots. No children. <laughs> uh, you talked about launching at Coachella, which is pretty ballsy for any new brand to just show up at a gigantic festival. Be like, hey, we're here. Like, how did you tackle that, right? Because how long ago was it? April uh, 2009. Okay, so it wasn't as big as it is now, but it was still pretty sizable. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was still a prime rate of 100,000. Um, it was... 
Actually, I think we're pretty lucky because in those days, it wasn't weekend passes, it was just day passes. Except in, if you were camping, then you were there for almost really five days, actually, because it was the days that you were camping, and you know, Monday to, to kind of pack up and leave. So we were lucky because we had a more continuously active audience than we would have if we were, not, if we were general admission selling, or VIP, it was really sell down. Um, and we, that was the only place, they didn't have really had trucks like we felt before, so that's the only place that they could sort of legally park us. And it was, um, I think it was an experiment for everybody. It was like three, there's pizza and I think nice food with us. And we had, in the slideshows, the original truck, which um, we couldn't even drive, so we had to tow to Coachella. <laughs> well, we had to trick AAA because we found a loophole in it that if we bought the $200 mem premier membership, you got two free 200-mile tows, and that was definitely less than just towing it. Yeah. So we bought the membership like a couple days beforehand and then just called the day of Coachella, and we're like, our, our truck broke down. And he, and he gets there, and he's like, I can't tow this. It's a commercial vehicle. And we're like, please, it's our first event. And God bless him. I mean, he was like, fine, you owe me. Yeah. That, yeah, that did not well, drive. It did not drive. Actually, we didn't really run the flatbed, and we hadn't really thought about it. We were following it to the and right as it went under the first underpass, it was like, there's that. Stop! So it had this sort of also, you know, not um, uh, this custom addition in terms of height. Yeah. And so it was like, it could have been stuff that looked like, and he was like, Anyone else here build their business on fraud? <laughs> Everyone admitted to public. <laughs> successes uh, what if I mean if one uh, maybe you guys can answer this separately um, a low point that you hit and had to overcome oh. see I got more somber with the yeah. <laughs> um, probably shutting down Miami so we you know had the idea of hey we have a couple trucks in New York it's a totally seasonal business um, we shut it down from January to April, pretty much. And we thought, why don't we take one of the trucks from New York and build another truck and send it to Miami? Like, people in Miami will love ice cream. It's that it's their on season when it's our off season in New York. And we got the trucks down there. We, hide, we poached a guy from BurgerFi who was poached from Shake Shack. So we were like, okay, so he's, he's got some Danny Meyer like training, it's great. And it just was a total disaster, wasn't it? Yeah, it, we, um, the, there was rampant employee theft to the point where one day our company car was missing because the guy that our Shake Shack guy had hired to replace him, because that was the point he was gonna become director of operations, he had to prove himself by opening up the city, we're paying him like 80 grand and a bonus, like, um, the guy he hired to replace him was stealing money, like going around with the company car and our ATM card, withdrawing money, accumulating parking tickets late at night so that when we couldn't find the car and we called the police, they were like, oh yeah, it's impounded. And we were like, oh, thank God, like we found it, but still. Um, so we realized like after that, you know, going through, you know, we were there for maybe six to seven months. If we can't make it in the on season there, plus the rules were different. We realized the market is extremely body conscious at that time. They want popsicles. They don't want ice cream sandwiches. 
Uh, we we ripped the band-aid off. Have you seen those new songs that don't have the side on them? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because yeah, you can cover up. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, we decided to rip the band-aid off. And it was okay. Now we're sold in supermarkets in the you know southeast region, so it was just a $200,000 marketing expense. But, you know, it's fine. <laughs> I mean, that was pretty low. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> 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 you always find when you're an entrepreneur, you're either resilient, you always find an outsider to things. Um, and you always, like like Craig said, it was marketing, and at the end of the day, we got distribution down there. So it was definitely um, worth the endeavor, you know, kind of going forever. You have to know sometimes you don't have to pull the plug to and move on to something else. Right. Um, I, I don't know. I, I, it's weird. I have, like,
That's impressive. I don't know about you guys, but that's, um, I'm impressed. Uh, and so that growth, right? You know, I think most people who are starting a business, like how much of that was forecast versus like, oh wow, let's like, or let's open a store. Like, was it you know how how much of it was sort of happenstance? Actually, we we were pretty good about performing and forecasting pretty early with our with our budgets because we, we have closed a couple financing rounds you know along the way. Um, I think what has changed and where we pivoted was we thought initially that we were going to have trucks in every major U.S. city. So we're like, we're going to have two trucks in Chicago and two trucks in St. Louis and two in Atlanta. And Bobby Margolis, who's um, one of our investors, he used to own Cherokee jeans. Uh, he was like, no, ladies. No, 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 no. Um, we're going to focus on wholesale and we're going to get you into 10,000 stores and then you're gonna sell yourself to Unilever or something, yeah. And we were like, oh, but, and then it, it's funny because going back and looking at, at our forecasts, there was a zero, 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 all across the wholesale line that was not forecast. You we were like, oh, wholesale so like annoying and like driving it everywhere and delivering it and putting it together. Like they're all like handmade. And he's like, no, we'll figure it out. Yeah, and whenever he tells the story, I think we had on the original ask when he started working with him was, you know, raising money for a few trucks in 30 cities. Every time he tells the story of what we wanted to do before he came along, the amount of trucks gets bigger. And I'm just like, they wanted to do 80 trucks. It's like 80, right? 80. <laughs> um, but no, I think that that was a pivotal, and, and that would depend on when we pivot towards distribution, just wanting to expand the product line. I mean, I, I don't think we had really thought outside the ice cream sandwich, you know, as far as you know, your original question, but that's why I wanted to not, you know, get to even stop eating frozen or frozen desserts is because I think now it's really just a brand can do so many different things. It's more about vision and, and vibe. Um, and so, you know, we have the bars now and the pints. So he really got us into like, it's like product development, like now we the sandwiches, but what are the values of that product? What's the style of that product that we can apply to? Clients of ours, maybe beverages, chocolate, you know. Would you ever go like a, a non food thing absolutely. at all? Yeah, absolutely. I think home line, kitchen line, there's a lot of was to create a vision book. And we were like, really? You want us to spend $5,000 paying someone to put together a vision book for us? And he's like, yes. You, you don't understand. You guys know Julie Thorne then? Did yeah. you know? <laughs> you just missed out but, on five grand, sorry. <laughs> yeah. but, but he's like, yeah, it will be an amazing tool to showcase your brand where it is now, where you want it to be. Um, we'll put it on paper. Yeah, we'll put it on paper, and then yeah. you'll make it happen, and you can show it to potential partners and investors. And your team. Yeah. registers with everybody. Give us an example of an ice cream cooking recipe. Is it to make ice cream or is it to like cook stuff with ice cream? Um, yeah. It's a real question. I wasn't. No, no it's a serious question. <laughs> like, like how is it made? No, like what is, like, is, is, are they ice cream recipes or is it like steak all the vanilla fudge? Oh, Sam, sorry. I'm the question asshole, sorry. Yeah, no, no. Uh, yeah, we teach you how to actually make the base. Um, and then a bunch of, which is egg yolks, cream, milk, sugar, um, and how to make that, and then how to add. Yes, in your Cuisinart ice cream maker. 
and uh, and then also obviously the cookie recipes. But in there is like the, uh, the fried chicken caramel ice cream. You learn how to make fried chicken. See, that's caramel. what I was getting at. See, yeah. I what I was then asking. you put it into your base that you all have also spiked with yeah. rosemary, cayenne, and you know. And also we have a lot of the entrepreneurial kind of story, the how to, and um, there's I think you know a lot of pages about. projections were so low like in the beginning I think we gave out like a point for $7,500 like that's now worth a lot a lot more uh, with dilution yeah um, but you know once we got to Bobby's round because we did have actually speaking of failure there was one round of financing the first angel round where we partnered with, um, or it was with one of our cookie co-packers, and it just didn't work out. But it, we, like we were working together, and we were taking the money in installments, and we were like, oh no, like this, I don't think this is gonna work. But thankfully, our lawyer had put in our agreement that if we didn't get all the money by a certain time frame, it, it converted to to debt, and we were like. Yes, we kept all the equity. Uh, but, and then, but at that point, we were under construction on our Culver City location. We had to stop construction. I mean, it was pretty um, disruptive. Uh, we got through it and closed the round with Bobby. And at that point, I think we were also so under the gun that we accepted his terms. But it was, you know, first structured sort of like a convertible note. So very, you know, entrepreneur friendly. Which is that it's, Oh, it's uh, for equity and loan, um, and I think um, we, I, you generous actually in the valuation, it was like uh, the multiple of, of revenue at the time, at least two. No, it was like six, because, no. yeah, because oh. we were basing it on 2011. Okay, well, fair numbers, whatever. Well, <laughs> but, um, See what you guys just witnessed there? There's real business happening right now. <laughs> but they, um, at that, I mean, we still have the majority as a married couple, but we still have a Even, yeah. Anyone else? 
Julie has a question. So she was like, okay, I'm gonna give these silly girls a chance. Um, she, we did a test at uh, Venice, uh, Glendale, and Pasadena. Okay. And we actually had pretty good sell-through with our, I think you'll see, like there was box packaging that looked like the truck. And then they had some feedback for us. They're like, yeah, no one can really tell what's in that box, by the way. 
and there should probably be color for flavor differentiation. So the next round here, we'll, we'll wait till it comes up so you can see the difference. Um, but literally, that change from the box. Oh, these are friends, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> but that change from the box to the foil packaging, we saw an increase of 500% in sales. So really, again, about like you know the four P's, like price, product, promotion, yeah. packaging. <laughs> There you go. See the box where you can't tell what is that yeah. to that. Yeah. Where we're like, okay, colorful. There's there's a sandwich on, you know, so people know it's an ice cream sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> but then, then so we got picked up with the slides had you know Emmys and Dexter and things like that like how did you know just talk, walk us through a little bit of how that came to be and how you guys go about even working with brands especially when you have to preserve your own brand integrity you know to work with a Dexter versus your fun brand versus a you know a, a psychopath basically um, like how do you balance that out and you know preserve all the the, the things that need to go into it well I I want to kind of touch on, and I think it'll be a good just kind of putting it all in perspective a little bit. 
um, is the fact that you've got most, like all these things happening, right? And you know, I think sometimes uh, a budding entrepreneur or even a seasoned one, like you, you start off with a product, which your product was the ice cream sandwich, right? And to perfect that product for at first, you know, and yes, have a vision for the future. Like, how did you guys go about balancing that out? Like, wanting to do all these things at, at once versus like being laser focused on a few things, you know, just to be sure that you're perfecting your process. I think as we were young and naive and had a lot of energy, we, we sort of were like, let's do it, let's do it all, and let's do it all at once. <laughs> so um, I think as we kind of cut our teeth with, with that notion of like, let's do the truck, like let's open a store, like let's get into Whole Foods, we started to really focus on, like for example, now we're focused on the wholesale distribution side of the business. Um, but I think also, like, there's one slide here that says, you know, minimum viable product, action, not perfection, right? I, I don't know if anyone's read The Lean Startup, but that's, like, something that they talk about in that book. But for us, we were like, yeah, let's just get it out there, see what happens. You know, for example, our, um, you know, we've gone through probably a couple ice cream co-packers and a couple cookie co-packers as we really start to, you know, uh, perfect the ice cream sandwich, which is a really hard thing to do. It's like, not perfect. I think we all beg to differ. Yeah, no, but like the perfect cookie, the right consistency, right. the right ice cream with the right butter fat and overrun, it's like, but if, if, I, if we like focused on just that in the beginning, like we would have analysis paralysis and we would never have launched it, you know? That's awesome. All right, well, I want to thank you guys. I mean, you know, you're going to be here. Um, give, them, give them a round of applause. That was like... If you like listening to comedy, try watching it on the internet. The folks behind the Sideshow Network have launched a new YouTube channel called Wait For It. It's got interviews with comedians like Reggie Watts, Todd Glass, Liza Schleisinger. Schleisinger, I've been friends with her for 10 years. One of the funniest people out there, and I still have a hard time with the last name, Liza. Our very own Owen Benjamin, that's me, takes you on a musical journey down internet rabbit holes and much more. You don't have to wait any longer. Just go to youtube.com slash waitforitcomedy. There's no need to wait for it anymore. Because it's here. And it's funny. And I love you. A few days ago, Brooke Tudine posted an inspirational quote on her wall that got 17 likes and three comments. Thumbs up, Brooke. Geico also wants to make a comment. In just 15 minutes, you could save hundreds of dollars on your car insurance by switching to Geico. And nothing says inspiration better than saving money. Well, except for those posters that say things like teamwork, excellence, and make it happen. Hashtag keep climbing. Hashtag savings. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance.